Welcome to the Collective Voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast. Hello, and welcome to a special sponsored edition of the Collective Voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking to Zach Kimball, staff data scientist for MCG Health. MCG Health, part of the Hearst Health Network, provides clinical guidance that gives health core organizations confidence in their patient-centered care decisions. MCG's solutions are used by over 2,600 hospitals, a majority of the U.S. health plans and government agencies such as the CDC, the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs, and CMS. And I'm your host, Matthew Albright. I am Chief Legislative Affairs Officer for Zealous Payments, Z-E-L-I-S. Zealous's mission is to enable providers to simplify and save on their payments and claims. I also serve as the Communication Committee Chair for WEDI. That's W-E-D-I. WEDI is a national membership organization where the HIT community connects, collaborates, and creates solutions for a better health system. And like I said, we are excited to have Zach Kimball on our show today. Zach Kimball is staff data scientist for MCG Health. In that role, he researches and develops new product features that leverage MCG's industry-leading, evidence-based clinical guidelines. He uses technologies such as natural language processing and machine learning, which we're going to talk about today. And prior to joining MCG, he built data science products in diverse roles in health tech, marketing, and supply chain management. So, Zach, welcome and glad to have you on the Collective Voice. Thanks for having me, Matt. Good, good. So, tell us a little bit about MCG Health and uh, maybe touch on you know that sexy subject, AI. Uh, maybe explain to us what uh, MCGA's role is in the healthcare sector and, and where does the AI uh, fit into all that? Sure. So uh, MCG Health's sort of core um, product, intellectual property, is uh, guidelines for medical necessity. Um, and so these are evidence-based, independent care guidelines that a, a team of um, physician writers and editors review a whole bunch of um Medical literature, largely like randomized control trials, and try to come up with you know what are what are the best what's the best known information and guidance on um, you know when certain treatments should be used, when people should be in the hospital, um, those sorts of things. We also then offer value added software that sort of work fits into the different workflows when you would you would be um, looking at those guidelines. So obviously, you know, uh, having a lot of software. Where you start to want to um, build features that help people uh, automate certain certain actions, be able to find information more quickly, and so AI comes up sort of naturally there. Um, so it's it's really about enabling um, you know features that then will will make people um, more productive. Uh, so two examples um, that are one is in you know in general availability, another that uh, we're sort of in a prototype phase right now our prioritization of uh, utilization review. Um, so deciding which cases to review first, essentially if you're a utilization manager. And then the other one is, is detecting relevant clinical documentation. So if you're going through um, reviewing a case uh, and you have a whole lot of different uh, notes, how do, you, how do you find the relevant information quickly? Very good, very good. And, and, and how does the uh, AI technology work into that clinical decision support? Sure. Uh, so yeah. So for um, utilization reviews, you know, essentially we're looking through HR data 
um, and then trying to uh, compare that data to um, past historical information about about statuses. So maybe I should back up a little bit there. Uh, so the the uh, product is built for um, utilization managers. Um, so these are people in a hospital often have you know different actual uh, position titles, but somebody who has to look at um, a case in the hospital and decide if they've been correctly you know uh, labeled as inpatient or observation and uh, review certain documentation about that. There's sort of like a meta problem here of how do you decide which case to look at without looking at the cases, right? So you have to somehow order, if you, got, if you have a census of 30 patients, you have to decide who you're going to look at first. And so there's various ways of doing this, um, some better than others, right? You could just do it randomly. You could try to quickly look at their insurance and maybe do the people that, uh, you know, have the most... Uh, uh, the providers that are most likely to be uh, on you about the time it takes. So we provided a, a, a product IEF that takes into account some of that, has some different workflow uh, features, but also has a um, an AI generated prioritization. So that priority score is based um, on uh, how likely the person is to be misclassified. Um, so they're currently have an outpatient status, but they actually should be inpatient. Um, obviously, that's a problem uh, because eventually you're going to have to convert them. That could cause all sorts of issues you might not be able to, which would mean you're going to have to underbill. And then the reverse is true, right? If somebody has been has a status of inpatient, um, then you can end up having a denial. So it's really important to find those out quickly. So we, uh, yeah, can we have a, a model that's based on historical data and then uh, learns from the the data coming in from DHR to look at how likely somebody is to be misclassified, right? But the idea is that you can look at 30 people, like 50 people, right, and be able to actually order those that you, you do start working at the top of the list of the people that really need to be looked at quickly. So that's interesting, actually, because I think what you're, what you're kind of outlining with your product is a kind of division of work, right? Uh, what your product is doing is, is taking what would have taken a human being a couple of hours to actually make the list, Right to think about how they're going to what what kind of records they're going to go through first and which patients they're going to go see first to actually figure out um, what the utilization management is going to be right so you're you're skipping over the first couple hours it sounds like of that product it doesn't take away the human uh, touch uh, because the human ultimately does go through each of those patients but it kind of prioritizes which patients need to be looked at first is that what I'm hearing yes that's that's correct and that's that's sort of a a trend. That's something that we really aim for. We can talk about a little bit more about my, uh, you know, like how we decide on these things. But you know, it's more important to figure out the things that that AI can do well, right? And um, things that humans can do well. <laughs> and uh, you know, even if if there's something that a human can do really well in 30 minutes, and a computer can do really well in 10 seconds, right? You don't want to replace the human because they the AI probably won't do it as well. In those 10 seconds, right? But you want to figure out how you can use that to your advantage, how you can do the, uh, use that to extend the, the human. Yeah, I love that too. And, and, you know, the idea of like creating a list and, and leaving it to the AI to create a list, you're, you're talking about utilization, utilization management, but, you know, that's as easy as uh, thinking through your grocery list as well or your task list for the day. That takes, you know, a half hour, 45 minutes for a human. Um, and then you actually have to prioritize it, just like you're talking about. But AI could probably take care of that easy stuff, give you the list to start with, and then you can work with it. I, I think that's actually uh, fantastic. Um, and, and, what the, and, and just so I can understand the product, it's actually reading through the EHRs of the individual patients. Is that right? Yeah. 
it basically, you know, we have uh, HL7 messages that come in, right? And so you get um, a variety of information from the HR um, and, and use that. And then, you know, we have historical data about whether or not somebody was actually met the status, right? So if they were they were supposed to, according to our guidelines, right, were they actually supposed to be inpatient or supposed to be observation? So you're looking at you're looking at somebody when they come in, the information that's available when they first come in and saying how likely is that to, to end up being true in the future, you know, and, and um, once the review is actually done. Very good. And, and what's the role of natural language processing and LP? What does that play in uh, determining appropriate clinical documentation? Sure. So, yeah, so NLP um, is used somewhat in the IEF product just because you sometimes have so like diagnosis, for instance, can come in um, and that's in, in language and natural language. It's more useful to think of it as natural language rather than to try to use the codes, basically. So there's a you can build a better model if you look at the actual natural language of the diagnoses. But then uh, we, we're using natural language, really have natural language processing really heavily right now for a separate product that uh, I, I do not have a, a marketing official name for, I guess, right now. It's, so it's, it's a, um, an additional feature to um, a product we have that's uh, Indicia for Admission Documentation, IAD, which uses a sort of a tool behind the scenes. It's called Synapse. And so the whole point of that product is to, to look at once you're actually doing the review, you have decided on a guideline. Um, so say a person's come in, um, they're admitted for pneumonia. That's their um, um, admitting diagnosis. So you say, okay, they have, they're we're using a pneumonia guideline. Should this person be in the hospital if they have pneumonia? And so uh, the utilization manager is looking through, utilization nurse looking through the uh, clinical documentation and then looking at the guideline and trying to decide whether or not they meet the guideline, whether or not they're, they've been have the right status, and if so, documenting the reasons for that. So there's there's certain structured data that comes in uh, that makes that really easy. Well, I should say, with our product, uh, with a lot of work on codifying and making sort of a machine-readable version of the guidelines, it's really easy to then look at the EHR data, assuming that it comes in correctly. Once you get past all the problems with you know reading HL7 or figuring out how to map fire correctly, you can go through and say this person is tachycardic because I have their heart rate. So there's no, there's no um, ambiguity there. And it's pretty simple to, to do the math of, you know, is this number greater than whatever we've defined as tachycardia for that specific guideline. So heart rates above 115 BPM, that's, you know, indication met, but then you have indications that are more um, complicated. So for instance, um, like altered mental status, um, so that is an indication for pneumonia, right? If somebody is uh, sticking up with pneumonia, that and this could also be a sign of sepsis and some other things. But but if somebody's not, you know, their baseline is that they're, you know, they don't have baseline dementia, um, but they're have, you know, some sort of extreme lethargy or um, they're confused, right? Those things can can be an indication. That is often sometimes you get things like that in a problem list, and it's been reduced to uh, like a IC10 code. Um, sometimes it's not, so it's just documented. So a lot of what these utilization nurses are doing is is reading through notes, like scanning through notes. Um, and notes are you know sometimes have all kinds of random things in there. Could be you know labs pasted in, and so you're trying to find like the right information, um, just sort of searching and searching and searching, and then. So then they find the little blurb that says like, you know, patient is difficult to rouse or patient is not alert to time, place, and person. 
you know, no history of dementia. Okay, well, that's the documentation. Once you find it, it's really quick to know this is the right documentation, you know, to put it in the right place to make the, the clinical decision. But there's all this search time, right? Um, and so NLP can be really useful because it can do that search for you. So it can it can go through many, many documents and find the things that are specifically relevant to the guideline and then put those right in front of the user. Wow. All right. All right. So this is this is really uh, the, the 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 AI reads not just code, but it reads English too. Is that what you're right. saying? Yeah. Right. Oh, that's fascinating. Um, so what are some of the unique challenges of uh, using AI uh, to read that electronic health record and, and how has your company overcome those challenges? Yeah, uh, NLP is difficult uh, just on its own. You know, there's been a lot of advancement in the past 10 years, um, but there's um, there's still just a lot of different methodologies that aren't necessarily all the same. They don't, you don't necessarily use the same tool set or even a you know sort of slightly related slightly different tool set to do two different things so if you want to summarize a paragraph the way that you do that the tools that you do use to do that the insights and intuition may be very different than the tools that you would use if, if you say wanted to read a paragraph and then read three sentences and decide you know which which sentence is uh the correct answer you know for for something that's in the paragraph um there's just, there's a lot of really specific tools for specific tasks. Um, so that's complicated on its own. So there's this like figuring out how to apply those different tasks to the different, the different specific problems within medicine. Um, so that's just something that takes uh, a lot of reading papers and a lot of, you know, trial and error and, and sort of understanding uh, how the underlying algorithms work. And then medicine has its own very specific issues. Um, I mean, first, the... The text needs or the natural language processing needs to be quite accurate. You know, you're you're talking about medical decision making. So it's not it's not like generating copy for your, you know, uh, meetup group or something. Right. It's it's pretty important. And so there's a high bar or at least you need to know when you're wrong. Right. So you have to have some ability to like calibrate or catch your mistakes. And then the, the language is highly specialized. Um, so there's a lot of pre-trained models. Um, that's sort of the main, the hot thing in machine learning now and, and deep learning is, you know, for NLP, you have a model that goes and reads a large part of the internet and then it knows how to read. But obviously what people are saying on Reddit is not necessarily the same language that's used in, um, in a clinical note, at least outside of like slash R medicine. So you have to get you know, clinical notes from somewhere, there are DID, uh, de-identified sort of academic sources available and stuff, but um, you can also use, uh, like we use things from like PubMed, so like biomedical, so it's not clinical necessarily, but there's a lot of the same verbiage in research papers and abstracts and things like that. Then medical notes are messy. Um, so sometimes you can have this really finely tuned sort of algorithm that's really good at figuring out what something's talking about. But then if you throw in like a table, it can be a problem. So there's a lot of sort of heuristics and stuff that have to be done to deal with um, that kind of problem. And then there's medical notes are really open-ended. So even things that are relevant that aren't just being pasted in, you know, you could have somebody's talking about pancreatic cancer. They could be talking about that the patient has pancreatic cancer, right? Or they could be talking about that a relative had pancreatic cancer and 
that those sorts of sort of like relationships and understandings and being able to understand the meaning of something rather than just um, sort of, or understand the, the semantic uh, sort of contextual meaning of things is, is uh, really important. That being said, there's also uh, like, as you get into that, you start to get the limits of what current NLP can do. And so when you combine that again with the fact that things need to be really accurate, you have to be careful to not, so this is, or I should say our approach to dealing with that is to be careful about delineating, about reasoning about the text and reasoning about the patient. I would say that the current state of NLP, even for state of the art, is that you really don't want to be doing a lot of clinical reasoning, medical reasoning about the patient. You want to be able to reason about what the clinician is saying. So you want to make sure that the clinician has said the patient has pancreatic cancer, not that their parent had pancreatic cancer in the past. But you don't want to make the decision that, oh, well, I saw this lab value and I saw this symptom. And so I'm going to say that they have pancreatic cancer, right? Like that's that's not, that's way beyond what what NLP can currently do um, reliably. So it's it's important to make those distinctions, right? And to, to know what your system can and can't do. Uh, that's that's fascinating. And, and it's fascinating just thinking about AI and, and what it can do and what you shouldn't expect it to do, not just with medicine, but beyond. But it sounds like for medicine, right? You don't want the, the AI to be the doctor, um, but you think the AI is probably a pretty good medical student. In other words, it's book smart, <laughs> but it might not be people smart, right? Yeah. Or at least I would say scribe. I'm aiming for scribe right now. I'm very good scribe. <laughs> oh, good. A scribe. All right. Good. Very good. Um, so, so you talked about certainly the benefits to the doctor and to uh, uh, utility management managers and, and, and people uh, who may be thinking about where where to put the um, patients. How about the patients themselves? Um, what might be some of the positive benefits to the patient? Yeah, so I think uh, you can think about this um, how this would play out over time. So for for sort of the immediate future, if you, if you look at the kinds of solutions that we're building right now um, and, and selling right now, um, the main thing is just, you know, lower healthcare costs, right? So there's less um, times you, you don't have to pay people, you don't have to pay a nurse to read for half the day, right? They can actually be reading things that are important making decisions. Um, so it, it helps, um, you know, have people operate at the top of license, which lowers costs. It also results in like more focused, informed clinicians um, and, and less burnout. I think that's something that I, I believe, you know, my, so my parents are both uh, retired physicians. My wife's a PA. I believe clinicians deserve to get more back from putting information at DHRs. Um, that's sort of a personal thing. So I'm very focused on that. But that serves the patient too, right? You have a happier more like a clinician who doesn't have to think about driving the the computer all the time. Right. And so that's sort of near term. Um, I think, you know, long-term you do start to see more things where you see the extension of clinical knowledge and clinical decision-making potentially to people that are, that, that are underserved. So you see some of this in imagery. So looking for like screening for diabetic retinopathy um, from, from images. So there's, there's, uh, algorithms that are doing that in like rural India. Um, so, you know, you're not, you're not replacing somebody's physician, right? You're giving them the chance to, to see a, a ro- you know, a robo physician, right? But so you're not replacing physicians. You're just trying to like get them to places they couldn't be. 
I think that's true also with like better alarms, um, stuff like that. And then I think you start to see the, that even at like a micro level. Um, so like, you know, like smart dosing. So like IV machines, right? So being a drip is just like however many milligrams per hour, right? Have one that's reactive in some way. MRIs, for instance, um, I think we will see higher resolution MRIs in the next few years. So this isn't even something that's about making decisions or that like clinical level. It's just about the fact that there's better ways of doing image, you know, signal cleanup, basically using AI um, that's been heavily used in like computer graphics that will make its way into MRI. So you'll have uh, higher, higher quality MRIs in the future. So yeah, there's, I, I would say there's many, many different ways and, and, you know, we'll see it in the small things first and the sort of productivity level things, and then it'll start to be more and more um, allow us to create new technologies. Interesting. And, and you touched about on the, on the, the cost factor and the price factor, and hopefully it brings down the, you know, at some point in the long term, brings down the overall cost of um, healthcare. Uh, have you have you been able to do any um, uh, cost benefit uh, to figure out how your product itself might save money? Uh, yeah. So as I said, IEF uh, uh, is, is you know, being actively used. Um, there have been um, some cases of, of increased increased revenue is is primarily since you're you're trying to. Um, basically do a, you know, increasing the number of ops patients that are actually being converted to inpatient when they should be um, without causing sort of denial. So it's mainly um, like a revenue picture there. The one, uh, one case uh, generated uh, like $822,000 over seven months for, for a single hospital. So it can be um, pretty, you know, financially impactful. Very good. Um, so there's lots of talks. I'd, I'd love to get into it about the ethics and the use of artificial intelligence. But does uh, MCG have a north star in terms of how you guide your own development of AI? Yeah. So it's uh, mainly around trying to extend the clinician, right? So bring information more quickly. You know, automate the boring stuff, but don't don't try to you know. Uh, make black boxes that make really important decisions that can't be explained um, that impact people's health, right? Um, make sure we can explain what we do and make sure that we um, are ensuring that people still have the clinical decisions made uh, by a clinician. I like that. Automate the boring stuff. I think that's a good, <laughs> that's a good slogan to have. Uh, and there's also lots of talk, of course, of uh, human biases uh, that get built into, right? Uh, the, the AI or the machine reading itself. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, so we, there's, so yeah, this is, this is a sort of a fraught topic. Um, a lot of, a lot of bias comes from the data. Um, I, I would say even um, algorithms can have, well, algorithms have a whole like technical thing of bias that's totally separate, but there's, there's often this argument that's like, well, is it the data or is it the algorithm? Um, I think part of what that misses is, is, is also the implementation. And so we we take certain steps um, to, to make sure that our data is representative, to upsample in some ways if necessary. But most of the stuff that we're doing, you know, we're looking, I'm looking at uh, text, right? So I'm mainly just trying to extract information from text, um, not necessarily make those decisions. And so that's, again, part of the reason for why you don't you don't necessarily want to build a black box that's not explainable um, because if you are just you know providing information, then the, at the end of the day, um, the implementation itself, right, is is um, or sorry, the decision is made by the clinician, and they can use that information to try to not 
make a biased decision. Um, so whereas if you're just sort of, if you just have a black box, then like you make the decision, right? And any sort of bias that's in your data automatically goes into uh, the, the uh, indecision. I, so maybe an example make this a little better. I don't have a great clinical one, but right now I've been playing with something called Dolly, which is like a image generation uh, algorithm from OpenAI. So you basically you type in like a description of an image and it'll produce the image. And it has certain biases, mainly because it's it's built off the internet, and <laughs> off like a bunch of stock photography. Um, and so if you say certain things like, it, you're at times more likely to get like, um, if you say employee, like it thinks that an employee, um, they did some things to sort of fix um, racial and gender uh, bias that was in some older models, but it still thinks that an employee is somebody who like works in an office and has a button up shirt. The reality is though, like all that's in stock photography too, right? Like if you go to a stock photography website and you search, like most of the searches are going to be like, a lot of the images are going to be white males. Like a lot of the images for employee are going to be corporate. Like, so, you know, at the end of the day, well, who's responsible for making sure that um, if you're going to create marketing material that is representative, that it's, it's not biased. Well, it's the person who chooses the stock photography, right? We don't say, well, we have to go like, I mean, obviously that then causes people who offer stock photography to offer more variety in their stock photography. Um, but that's what we're trying, I'm trying to get at with our tools, right? Is that um, we we're still, we're allowing people to make better decisions um, in the end uh, and thus reduce bias. Yeah, that's fascinating. Like the idea that the source data itself has its own uh, bias and that's what your AI is learning from, right? So that's fascinating. Uh, and, and maybe a, a related uh, topic, um, are there ways that AI can be used um, to help physicians support ideas like health equity? Yeah. So, I mean, first, I would say like a pretty near-term one um, would be extracting social determinants of health from, from text, right? And then being able to have certain alerts for a social worker during discharge, right? Um, so if you could, you know, really quickly say, oh, here's this person appears to have um, like transportation issues, right? Um, so you could uh, pull that sort of thing out of text. You could also do more explainable calculations of readmission risk. So there's a lot of readmission risk. Uh, I mean, that's that's like a classic sort of medical ML problem, but a lot of those models are pretty simplistic, right? And the ones that get more complicated start to be more black box. But if you actually say not just this person has a you know 30% chance of being readmitted, but like they have a 30% chance for this specific reason, and this is how to address it. And then, you know, better, even just better, uh, like medical uh, machine translation, right? So translators aren't always available. Sometimes the, there's the amount of time it takes to get them um, is, is a barrier. Um, and so if you had good machine translation, medical machine translation, you might get better medical histories that would, re, you know, reduce the chance of somebody being misdiagnosed or being under or overtreated, you know, have better patient compliance. Just, yeah, a lot of, a lot of opportunities there. Yeah. Interesting. So, uh, Zach, I'll leave you with the last word. Anything else you want to uh, tell the audience or um, tell them about MCG? Uh, I mean, I think it's, uh, I mean, hopefully this came across. I'm really excited about our ability to, to get information out of, out of free text notes. I think that's something that will unlock so much value from the EHRs that have been set up and, and everybody uses at this point that that's just sort of locked away and, and not used. And 
Obviously at MCG, we're going to be doing everything we can to connect that to our guidelines um, and, and help people make good decisions about medical necessity. But I'm really excited to see how it gets used all across healthcare. Terrific. Very good. I love that idea of, you know, so many years the industry has been working on these EHRs and starting with meaningful use. And, and now we're trying to figure out how to get the most richness out of it, right? How to really mine it for, for stuff that will help the patients. Well, thank you, Zach. Uh, I appreciate your uh, time today. Great discussion with Zach Kimball. I uh, hope to see you again, Zach. Great. Thanks, Matthew. This has been a good discussion uh, with Zach Kimball, staff data scientist for MCG Health, and this has been the Collective Voice of Health IT, a weedy podcast where the health information technology community connects, collaborates, and creates solutions for a better health system. You can find this episode and many more on our website, weedy.org. Thank you all for joining us and be safe. <laughs>